Welcome back to another episode of You Are Just a Number podcast, a podcast regarding leadership, teamwork, process improvement, and the passion people display. Today's podcast is with Christine Hall, who has 30 plus years of experience in health management. Her passion and work ethics motivated her to start her own billing company and is now a successful consultant on compliance. I'm sure you will find her story and insight to the issues in the health industry quite interesting. To learn more, visit our website, which is youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters U R just a number.com. All one word. So sit back and listen to Christine's story. All right, welcome everyone. Today, uh, my guest is uh, Christine Hall, and she has like over 30 years of uh, experience in the health management system, and she has quite a few credentials. So uh, we'll get into that. So welcome, Christine. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, great. So tell me, Christine, I mean, you have all this, you have a lot of years of experience. You ha- I mean, you have quite a few uh, certificates. Uh, you're a certified professional coder, you're a certified professional biller, you're, you got more on and everybody, you can see that in the, um, in the document that I'll put on with the podcast. But tell me, uh, where did you come from? And why did you want to get into all this? Well, I kind of feel like I, uh, I kind of fell into it rather young. Um, I'm the first generation Uruguayan American. So okay. for, for all of you who don't know where Uruguay is, it's a wonderful country in South America. And my, my parents came here in the late seven or in the early seventies. Um, and when I was a teenager, you know, everyone in the family, we all worked, everyone worked. I, I don't remember a time when we didn't work. Um, it was just part of who we were. And um, about 16, my dad said, I think it's, it's time for you to step up your, your work, stop babysitting or stop uh, you know, cutting grass or whatever I was doing at the time. And the hospital had a position open in the billing office. And I got there and I met my people and I fell right into it. Um, just like a, a round peg into a round hole, I fell right into it. So working for a hospital setting back in the eighties um, and, and it was a very different world back in the eighties. And um, from there, I just, I had a wonderful experience of moving through this career and it's been my only career. So I've had a chance to hone it in many different areas, but um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. I I just kind of fell right into this industry at a very young age and it made good sense to me. So now are you still in a hospital setting or, um, or, or are you more a consultant now on your own? Well, that's a great question. Um, I left the hospital setting way back in the day and went into professional service, billing, coding, um, practice management. And I did that for quite a few years and then um, bought a billing company back in 2000 and really, really enjoyed working with the providers and, um, you know, helping them with their billing, making sure they were getting reimbursed properly, really stepping that notch up and, um, giving them all the bang for their buck, right? So I kind of stayed in that era there. And then after 17 years, I I did what a lot of people do. I kind of morphed into consulting. And so now I help providers with uh, revenue cycle management. So making sure they're getting, still getting that biggest bang for their buck. 
Um, but now I've also switched my focus to compliance. Compliance is a very big thing in our industry. So it's uh, not necessarily just making the money, but getting to keep the money in the event of an audit. So that's kind of how I morphed over into consulting. Um, and I do have my own consulting firm here and a, and a great team that we do education and consulting for healthcare providers on the business of, of healthcare. So you sold your, so you sold your coding company then, right? I sold my billing company. I sure yeah. did back in 2017. And how big is now is your consulting company? How many employees do you have? So I have 13 employees underneath me, um, which doesn't sound like a lot. But I, uh, the one thing I learned with the billing company is I want to be able to be um, a working manager, a working consultant. I don't want to just be supervising my staff. I still want to be out there working hand in hand with the providers. So you kind of have to keep things a little smaller if you want to continue to have that level of involvement. Oh, I'm sure. So what, you, so what is your ultimate, uh, what do you really, so you're ultimately wanting to help these hospitals and uh, regular uh, small practices, making sure they bill right and they're in compliance, or is it more toward just the hospital setting? No, I, I, I'm not in the hospital setting anymore. There's a different payer system for hospitals and for facilities. Okay. Um, and there are a lot of consultants out there that have done a great job honing in on all of those particular areas. I focus more on the professional side. So working hand in hand with providers and their practices, you know, small practices, as well as large practices. I have practices with over 250 physicians in it that I do consulting for. Um, laboratories, diagnostic service um, providers, and small ambulatory surgical centers as well. So that type of professional service-based um, consulting. So I stay more on that side. And like you said, keeping compliant. So how do I make sure that you are um, coding so that we can bill the maximum amount as compliant as we need to be so that, again, they get to make the money and then they get to keep it in the event of an audit. Okay. Okay. So um, I see also in your about page that it seems like you're an educator mentoring interns and externs in, in, in the system. And I, I see that you've done some, I guess, talks at uh, some certain colleges and everything. Is that true? Yeah, I have been a, a national speaker since 2013. So I've had the pleasure of, of speaking all over the United States for many medical societies, medical associations, uh, professional organizations, colleges, and um, locally and throughout the country, DeVry University, I've, I've been a guest speaker for them as well. And um, I did work with my local colleges when I had my billing company, uh, providing them with an extern site so they could get that real life experience of working with billing and coding before they go off into the world, you know, to be able to give them that externship experience. So it sounds like uh, you're basically what you're really saying is because you're you do quite a few uh, consultations and, and you, you speak. So it's like you're looked at you're as actually a leader in the industry of, of coding and compliance and regulations and everything. Some people have called me a subject matter expert, Jim. Yeah. Um, I, I have partnered with APC. Uh, they're the American Academy of Professional Coders, and um, I am a subject matter expert for them, as well as one of their instructors of their curriculum. So, 
And yeah. it always goes back to be a leader. It doesn't matter what your perception is, is what people perceive you to be. So <laughs> I, I have to say you're perceived as a leader. So, Thank you. Uh, so I want to just talk a little bit about um, some of this stuff. I mean, I guess this is a, a, a question. Why do you feel, okay, with all your years of experience, okay, is, is the medical field that complicated that everybody has all these issues with coding, CDI has problems, okay? You see all these problems, okay? So, and, and really you're out there helping people. Why is this such a big problem in the medical industry? Super question. Well, because they don't teach the business of medicine in college. So all of your providers that are coming out, physicians, non-physician practitioners, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, anyone providing healthcare, they are never taught the business of medicine. They're not taught how to get paid. And so that can be kind of difficult. So you, you, you know, do all of your eight years plus of education and then you go off to help people and you find that when it comes to getting reimbursed for your services, there's a lot of red tape to, to undergo. And the changes in healthcare are so many, so often. Uh, just to give you a, a tiny example, last week on Tuesday, we had some of the new diagnosis codes and the guidelines for those new diagnosis codes for reporting them, that, that CDI that you mentioned, clinical documentation integrity. So we had some new diagnosis codes, um, revised diagnosis codes and revised guidelines of how to report those diagnosis codes. Those came out on Tuesday. Wednesday, we had another um, federal regulation that dropped. It's called the, the proposal, the Medicare Provider Fee Schedule Proposal. Basically, that means that all the changes that, that Medicare CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicare Services, um, all the changes that they want to make to the healthcare industry, those changes are proposed uh, months in advance so that there's a comment period by provider so they can weigh in and say, hey, we like this change or we don't like this change or to, to kind of get an idea of what the change is that's coming. And so that proposal came out Wednesday. It was about a 1700 page federal register proposal that came out of changes just, just on the provider side, on that professional side that I really enjoy so much. So earlier in the year, we had one for hospitals, uh, home health, hospice, which are equally that long. So changes are constantly happening in this industry. It's very difficult for providers to practice medicine and still make sure that they're doing everything they can to get reimbursed for taking care of us. All right, so basically, and I get that. And I think just listening to you, even if you teach it in medical school, even if there was a business side of the medical school to help these providers, it still isn't good enough with all the changes because I mean, being a doctor, you have to be, be kept or whatever you're doing, you have to be kept up with all the medical updates and not even the business side of it. Exactly, exactly. So the one thing I can say about healthcare is change. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only constant there ever is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so providers really do need uh, consultants and professionals, subject matter experts who can help them stay current with all the changes that happen. And, and they happen so, so quickly and so often and so deep 
um, that uh, I think I'll always have a career. Oh, I, I'm sure you will. And it doesn't really <laughs> see, it doesn't really si seem like there's a, um, a means to the end here yet. I mean, because of all the constant change and influx and, and everything going on, even if they hired somebody for their office just to stay with those changes to make everything happen, it's just not gonna, it's gonna be tough to keep up. So it's probably better to keep a consultant on, on, your, uh, on your team, right? Absolutely, because that's my job. My job is to make sure I know all the changes as they're happening and can distribute them to my providers as, as they need to. So again, of that 1700 pages that I was telling you proposed changes, not all of them affect every provider. So I need to make sure that I am, you know, sending the right information to the right provider and not just giving them the information, Jim, it's important that I follow up with them, monitor them, guide them, you know, okay, you do have the general concept, your documentation does support. However, there's a few other things that we can do that you can add to your documentation or, or strengthen your documentation to really support what you're doing with your patients to meet the needs of a payer. Okay. Okay. So then basically you have your, um, some of these providers really keep you on retention that you have to keep up with all this information. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I do every morning. I grab a coffee and I, I hit all the emails and I, I check all the standard websites and I see the changes that are happening, you know, and sometimes we even have to monitor Congress because Congress makes changes for us all the time that that do affect the way that we are reimbursed. Okay, okay. So now your team of, of 13, um, do they do they stay on top of everything or are you more like helping them too to stay on top of everything? How does that work? Well, we have a weekly meeting that we all meet together. Um, and we go over a couple, you know, what, what everyone's project is that they're working on. Some, some are working on education-based projects only. Some are working on auditing so that we can do the education that we find from the issues in the practice or, or opportunities to improve in the practice. Um, but we do meet weekly and then we will review those changes that really affect the areas that we're working in and those that do have to do more hand-holding with different practices they get that weekly update of all the issues that are happening. And then, you know, I send out newsletters to all of my clients and to my network of, of um, people and let them know some of these changes and give them like the cliff note version and then a link to that 1700 page if they have nothing to do this weekend. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, a little small reading material while you're watching TV. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is your team basically all virtual? My team is all virtual, yes. And is, and, your, um, is your team like uh, located all over throughout the, the nation? Throughout yep. the nation, okay. okay. Yes. So, mm -hmm. how did you find how did you find these these this team? Because you know, when you build a team, you have to make sure that uh, you know all the engine parts are working together. Okay. Absolutely. So, so yeah, give me a little insight and in how you located these people and how you built this. You know this teamwork team you have? Well, a couple of ways. So first, I've been doing this a really long time. So I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of wonderful people um, and, and be able to almost cherry pick some of the people that are on my team. Um, another way is, is, is I've taught for many, many years. 
And you see those bright students that go the extra mile. They ask the questions, they reaching out, they, they have that, that drive that you can easily see when you spend time. You know, classes are usually about 16 weeks long, or, or, you know, give or take. And you get to really build a relationship and see the quality of the person. Um, and, and again, I guess that gives me the opportunity to, to, to cherry pick and see who. So I have staff members with uh, little experience, but great integrity. I have staff members with decades of experience. Um, really, that's where it's come from is I've had that wonderful opportunity of knowing people and um, also have, getting the up and comings as they're coming right out of school. So, and, and does your team interact with each other? Yes, yes. We use a, one of the social media platforms. We use Teams. And so we are constantly talking all day long together. Um, I encourage them to use the video function because there's something that's lost sometimes with just audio. Almost um, dust. This is why we are the way we are right now. <laughs> right, exactly. So we get to really see things that are going on there. And, and I, I tell them all the time, no one person is going to know everything. We do need to interact with each other and run things by each other, share things with each other. Um, I think that's how we learn. We learn by our experiences. And so that helps strengthen my team as well. Okay. So now let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you build teams, personalities have become issues. Okay. I mean, it, it really does because, you know, as you talk about the medical field, you know, it's constantly changing. I consider leadership constantly changing because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't have two identical people. Okay. Exactly. Each, each person is a little bit different. And, you know, for even as a parent, you can tell one child <laughs> pretty strong. And if you tell the other child that they'll shut down. Okay. And, you know, you, you have to, you, you have to do another style. So how, how do you uh, work that in your, as a leader of your team? Well, Jim, you hit it right on the head. Um, my leadership skills were honed in early on. I, I am one of six children um, of all various ages, and um, I was the oldest. So born into the role. And then I also have six children. And so I knew that all of my siblings had different personalities growing up. You learn, um, you, you learn where, where everyone's strengths are. You learn where their weaknesses are. You, you almost learn what buttons to push and what buttons not to push as a, as a young person. The, the buttons that are going to give you that positive outcome and then the buttons where, you know, you have to learn to run fast. Um, same thing with my kids. My kids are, thank God, they're all grown and, and they're living their best lives. They're all married or, or in college or, or doing their thing. And again, how you deal with each one of those children strengthen your leadership. Um, again, owning a business for as many years as I have, you're going to have some of those employees that uh, I, I, I sometimes I even look for those employees that have strong personalities, that uh, they always have the great integrity. And you just have to learn to hone into the positivity of, of um, where they're at. I don't know if that's really a good way to put it. Um, well, you, you, you're honing in on their strengths, actually. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm a firm believer that we, there are going to be mistakes. That's how we learn. Oh, right. Um, right. Right. You learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. That's for sure. Absolutely. I think we invest more time into those mistakes, making them better. Right. Um, and right. The not better mistakes maybe. either. No, not better mistakes, but to, to, 
to, to fix something or to make right. it better or right. to not have that happen again. Um, you know, and it's very difficult. Uh, it reminds me, I have one child who challenges me all the time and, and I'll never forget. He said to me, um, he's probably about five or six years old. And he said, you know, mom, you're going to spank me and I'm going to cry, but I am not going to clean my room. So what do you do with that, right? So you you learn leadership skills by everyone that you encounter. And, and eventually we learned how to motivate him in the right way, um, what worked for him to, to get him to clean his room. Right. And so, you know, um, you, you just learn, you learn through experiences of how to deal with people. And I love people. I, I really do. Sometimes I think I have a little bit of a, um, a Pollyanna look at things because I really do believe that most people want to do good. They want to excel, they want to succeed, or, or at least the people that I've surrounded myself with right, right. have that type of, of mentality as well. Right. You surround your people, you surround yourself with the type, type of people that you really like to deal with. You know? Yeah. And, and with your statement here with your children and everything, one of the things that I did actually put into uh, my uh, Stepping Stones of Leadership book was that your past determines your decision making okay because basically you were just saying you know you're the oldest child and you were you were thrown into that leadership role with your you with your siblings and that helped form your your leadership skills as a child and so you just took it on as you went farther along mm -hmm. you know another thing is as a child uh, I was I was looking at your questions uh, this past weekend and one of the things that dawned on me was, that we were not a family of means. We were, we, we were an immigrant family and we were not a family of means. And I don't remember ever expecting my parents to support, not support as in eat dinner every night, but I mean, if I wanted that candy bar, it was never something I went to my parents to say, get me that candy bar. I remember uh, little odd jobs and, and earning money to be able to do that. And I still have that same mentality now. I, I, I don't have a mortgage, thank God. Uh, that's paid off and um, I've been blessed to be able to do that. But the focus has always been, again, do for yourself and do the best. And, and that way you can have these things, you can have these opportunities. Right, right. So in, in your business in here, mm -hmm. what, what is it that you ultimately want to achieve that you will feel that you're very successful? Um, I, I feel very successful already. Okay. Yes, All right. I, I will tell you, but I would like to continue this path. I, I really enjoy the path of um, educating and, and being able to provide the consulting services that I do. I love working hand in hand with the providers um, and being able to make the business of medicine work for providers so they can continue to go out there and take care of patients. Um, I think that's very important. Okay. Um, and, and what about your, uh, what, do, what do you want to, with your leadership style in here, do you have any advice that you can give people about leadership? Be patient. <laughs> okay. That's, that's an excellent one. That's an excellent one. And um, let's talk about um, you. I consider you an entrepreneur because you went into your own business. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, 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 you know, there are some tough decisions you have to make when you let, uh, left that weekly paycheck 
and you mm-hmm. decided to own your own billing company or, or code. It was a billing or co- billing company. Billing, billing right. company. And then, mm-hmm. We did and some then, coding too. No, no worries. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, you did again, you jumped into consulting, but I'm sure yes. you had some things kind of lined up for that. So for, if you were to give somebody some advice, okay, especially the entrepreneur, okay, because as you go on, entrepreneurship is really something that's going to take over this country. I mean, I already know, you know, it's better than sometimes working for somebody else. So what advice would you give to somebody? Gee, that's a, that's a big question. Um, It is, it is because you, but you went through it. Okay. You know, Um, you know, it's just, it's, I could never go back and work for somebody else. Um, uh, I'm not an in the box type of person. I'm not a nine to five person. And um, I enjoy learning and I enjoy growing and I enjoy all of my experiences there. So that's a tough one. Not everybody can leave that week to week paycheck and just, you know, hope and pray that the business is going to come in that it's going to be fair, that it's going to be regular, and that you're going to be able to meet your goals. So that's, it's a huge leap of faith. Um, I got to say that, gee, I don't know. That's really tough, Jim. It's tough to make it, it, that, that jump from, from uh, employee to entrepreneur. Right. But it can be done. It really can. It does take a lot of work. It's, uh, again, I don't have a nine-to-five job. Um, uh, even when we're sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office, I'm reading some sort of report or I am, you know, reviewing, like I said, I get up every morning and I review all of my emails and what's new in the industry. It, it truly is. You have to have a passion to be an entrepreneur. You mm-hmm. have to have an interest in what you're doing to be an entrepreneur. It's, it's not, um, it, it's a lifestyle almost when you're an entrepreneur because you are constantly trying to make your product or your service better. So and just, just listening to you, I would assume, okay, by all you do by reading, I mean, it's really something you love. So it's really not a job. So you, you, right. you love doing that. Okay. So, I mean, everybody says, well, how can you do that? Well, if you love it, it's not a job. That's always been said that. It, that is a hundred percent true, Jim. It is. It, I never look at it as a job. Um, it's funny. I've always been excited about the new things that come out. I've, I've always shared with my family. I've always, it's just part of, of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to ask you another question in here. Okay. All right. So do you watch just out of curiosity, because just by what you're doing by reading and everything, do you watch TV? Um, I really don't watch TV. I, you know, and, and I thought that because I'm sure you prefer to have a cup of coffee or water or whatever, sit yep. there and, and read, read some things than ver- watching TV. Absolutely. I, I, I do a lot of podcasts in the background while I'm working and they're all of my, in my industry. I listen to my colleagues. I listen to um, other experts in the industry because again, that's, that's how we learn. Um, yeah, but I don't really watch a lot of TV. Uh, you know, when, when a movie comes up, I try to keep a good work-life balance. I know that I'm, I have a tendency to over what someone might consider overwork. Huh? I don't consider it overwork because I'm enjoying it while I'm, I'm doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's but I try to keep a balance. You know, we, we do have Sunday night dinners where all the kids and, and their, their 
partners and husbands and wives come over and we, we try to watch a movie together. But okay. um, for the most part, yeah, I'm, I'm usually have my nose in something. I'm, I haven't, and that's another thing too. I probably haven't read as many books as I would like to read because I'm, I'm usually in my industry and. You're reading books, all right. 1700 page books. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But you learn a lot of really cool stuff when you do that. Um, recently, back, back in January, I read the Consolidated Appropriations Act, which is another one of those really long, I think it was 2,400 pages. But that was not just healthcare. It was also things that are going on in the country and how our money is distributed. And I learned so much more about my government that I didn't know because I do read um, you know, things that are they're pertaining to the industry, but they also pertain to what's going on in the world. So. Mm -hmm. it, it must take a long time to write a 1700 page document i'm sure that it does <laughs> i'm really sure that it does hey so do you have any uh like any stories that you might be able to share with our listeners that you well you know there was that that's a good question there is one story that kind of wraps this all up together um if you really want to know what has driven me to be that in depth into what i'm doing i have a funny story that that happened Back in the 2000s, okay. um, I had my billing company at the time. And one day in November of whatever year it was, 2007 or 2000, whatever it was, um, I got a letter from CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So that's Medicare. That's a, that's a federal program. Right. I get a letter in the mail. It was a big letter um, in a big envelope with a, a large attachment to it. And it said, um, you know, Ms. Ms. Hall, we received 150 claims for a wrong diagnosis. Uh, as you know, every year diagnosis codes change or they're revised and it is your obligation as the person submitting these claims to make sure you're reporting the most up-to-date codes. And you sent us 150 claims with the wrong code on it and you basically wasted our time and money processing these claims because you did not update the code. And, and lo and behold, they were 100% right. I, I went back and I looked at the new book for the new codes that had become effective. Our diagnosis codes become effective on a fiscal year. So October 1st, the new or revised codes need to start being used for diagnosis. And the code for constipation had grown from a four digit code to a five digit code. And I sent out 150 constipation claims with the wrong code on it. And Medicare was not entertained by that at all. So um, I had to write a, a, an action letter of what I would do. Of course, I would go into the software, make sure the codes were changed. I would change the claims, resubmit the claims with the proper code. Um, and I had to promise every year from this point forward, I will read all of the update. I will be aware of all of my codes. I will make sure that my software is updated and I will never send you outdated constipation codes again. So that goes to show why I'm, I'm so diligent in reading and staying on top of things. You know, again, not just to be that subject matter expert, but I wanna make sure that I'm doing everything right that I'm submitting things correctly, that I'm advising my providers correctly on the most up-to-date information. And, and I did make a promise to CMS that I would read that and be aware of it every year before the new codes dropped. And I'm a person of my word. 
So, did, they, did they ever get back to you with that? Uh, that uh, with any right? Uh, you know, uh, recognizing you know, what you did. But or? Jim, sometimes no news is good news. Okay. So once I sent them my my action letter of what I was doing and, and all the changes that I was made and my pledge, um, no, they never responded back, and I was I was okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> so what 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 could from being an outsider, I don't know what could happen if you kept doing it. So if I kept doing it, it would be considered abuse of the system because then I, you know, knowingly or even not know that we call it sometimes willful um, disregard. Okay. I didn't read the changes. I didn't make the changes. That's kind of willful disregard. And so that's an abuse of the system because they have to process those claims. They came in, we're paying people to do that. We are utilizing their software that someone built. Um, we're wasting their time. And when you do it once, shame on you. And you do it twice and shame on me. And the government will could actually come after you for abuse of the system because you are not uh, following the rules. Oh, and you're wow. causing waste of the federal government's money. So yeah, it is a big deal. It, it sounds funny, but it is a big deal. And um, and so that's why my pledge is still intact and I do a lot of reading. <laughs> yes, you do. So, <laughs> so what's your future look like, Christine? My future looks amazing. It's limitless. I have this ever-changing career that I, uh, environment that my career is in. Um, so it really is limitless. Um, I, I do hope at some point to retire. Um, probably not as soon as, as some would expect, but somewhere down the line. I don't know that I'll ever fully retire. I think um, my passion for this industry is so big that I'm gonna wanna follow it for, for forever. Um, but at, at some point I would like for my staff to kind of step up and let me take a, a, a back seat to things maybe. Right, right, um, right. You know. Like Jeff Bezos, you're, you're, you're there, but you're not there. Yeah, Go up to space, yeah. you know? Jeff and I will hang out on our yachts one day, you know, or side you by go, side. You go up and, you know, <laughs> run around in space with them too. I mean, right, so. right, sure. <laughs> but no, I, you know, I, you bring up a, a valid point about that. Um, Cause I'm retired from the, you know, the publishing industry more, um, but I was more mm -hmm. of a, a guy that's capturing it. Uh, but I, I always have to stay busy. I volunteer, I do this, I do that. And, you know, I, I just don't see you totally, removing yourself you'll always be part of it one way or the other so absolutely i that's that's what i foresee as well okay so um i guess a, a ending this a little bit uh do you have any words of advice that you can share with the audience i would i would um you know something that makes sense to you something that you enjoy um invest in it invest yourself into it whether it be your career, or if it's not your career, maybe it's a passion, um, invest yourself in it, become the best at it. Really understand what it is that your passion is or what your career is or what that goal is. Oh, and that's another thing, have goals, keep making goals. And when you cross off that goal, find another goal, keep moving towards something, keep moving. Excellent, excellent. Well, Christine, I really wanna thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It has been my pleasure, Jim. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all the listeners out there. All right. Thank you.
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Christine. Two things she said that resonated with me. One, experience does provide leadership skills. And secondly, learn leadership through everyone you encounter. As Christine indicated, to be successful, invest yourself into something you like. We are always looking for unique and interesting stories to share with our listeners. So if you have a passion for something, let me know. And I'd love to do a podcast with you. Just contact me at youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters U R just a number.com. All one word. Until next time, have a great day.